When I think about what impact I want to have, I invest for children in the future. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us for the first episode of Swell Investing's podcast. Each episode will feature conversations with people who are making money by creating positive change in the world. I'm Natalie Ricks, and I head up external communications at Swell. For those of you who aren't familiar, Swell is an impact investing platform helping people invest in portfolios of companies solving environmental and social challenges. Each of our portfolios focus on solutions that map to the UN Sustainable Development Goals. With Swell, you can invest in green tech, zero waste, or healthy living, just to name a few. This is our very first episode of the podcast, and we're so excited to be sharing with you one of the best-known voices in impact investing. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce Kathy Clark. Kathy Clark has been an active pioneer, researcher, educator, and consultant for over 25 years in the fields of impact investing and social entrepreneurship. You could say Kathy wrote the book on impact investing because she did. She is co-author of The Impact Investor, Lessons in Leadership and Strategy for Collaborative Capitalism. Her work has helped thousands of entrepreneurs and investors around the globe use business as a tool for good. She also helped to develop standards for B corporations. She is faculty director at the Center for the Advancement of Social Entrepreneurship, or CASE, at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business, where she founded and directs the CASE I3 initiative on impact investing. And she is also lead author of CASE's online learning series for impact entrepreneurs, CASE Smart Impact Capital as well as co-author of Case's Scaling Pathway series in partnership with the Skoll Foundation, USAID's Global Development Lab, and Mercy Corps. All right. So, Kathy, let's get started. Uh, first, can you tell us a little bit about your background? How did you get into impact investing, and what's the most rewarding part of your work? Oh, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. And that's a great first question. Um, so, the story for me goes way back. I think I would put it at 1992 when I had a job interview in Washington, D.C., and the person interviewing me was Lloyd Morissette, who was the co-founder of Sesame Street and the Children's Television Workshop. And I had lunch with him, and I realized like halfway through the soup course that this man had taught me and everybody I knew how to read, (laughs) which was quite humbling. And he was interviewing me for a job to come up to work with him at a foundation in New York. And he said he was a social venture capitalist. And I had no idea what he was talking about. (laughs) Um, And I said, what is that? I didn't even know what a venture capitalist was. I was a little liberal arts uh, major uh, in school doing some international work in D.C. uh, after college. And he said, well, what we do is we try to put money and ideas and people together at the right time to create lasting change on social problems. And I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. I'll sign up right now. (laughs) So um, I moved to New York and um, worked at this foundation for almost a decade, became very interested in not only how can you use grant money or charitable dollars to do good, but how could you actually invest in good? And I actually went back to get my MBA from Columbia so that I could really understand how finance works. And I ended up setting up my first impact fund in 2000. Um, So for me, the impetus was... I'm working with all these great um, enterprises, and I don't even think they were called social entrepreneurs then, but we were working with great nonprofit and for-profit managers who had ideas about what they could do to make people's lives better, whether it was, you know, doing things for kids or, um, you know, creating new kinds of uh, technology that could, you know, integrate solar into power systems, a whole bunch of different things. And my question then was, how do I help them succeed and how do I find capital that will help them succeed? Today, the field has grown so much, which is really rewarding. Today, I think the question is much bigger and broader and completely relevant for what Swell does, which is, 
how can we turn impact investing into how everyone invests? So yeah, actually, you bring up a great point, which is for many of our investors, they're just beginning to learn about this type of investing. This is new to them that you can make money and do good at the same time, but it's actually something that's been going on for a long time. Can you tell us how you define impact investing? I know people, there are a lot of terms out there. There's SRI, there's ESG. Mm-hmm. How do you think about impact investing specifically? Yeah, at its core, I believe impact investing is investing for both financial return and some sort of impact that you want to see in the world. And you can do that in a lot of different ways. You can decide not to invest in certain things because you think that they don't align with your values. You can decide to invest in things because they align with what you hope to see. And you can go really deep into almost high impact things where you're really going to monitor um, what the impact is and get information back. That's actually the, the 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 kind of standard definition that the field has grown over the past decade for the privately owned side of impact investing is that you have, and these are the fancy words, intentionality and accountability. Intentionality meaning you have an intention about what you're trying to do with your dollar. And accountability meaning you're going to actually check whether that intention has been fulfilled. And that can come in a variety of ways. And what's exciting about the field is everyone, you know, trying to work together from the different place that they sit in the field um, to help people, you know, screen out bad things, um, put in good things into their portfolios, or actually really um, invest heavily in, in direct impact. So as you mentioned, when you were introducing your background, it, this has been around for a long time. You said you started your first impact fund in 2000. That's right. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of impact investing? How long has it been around? What kinds of investors have used these strategies before? Sure. The practice of of, of thinking about how you invest aligned with your values has truly been around for decades. There are religious institutions and other kind of pension funds that have been less investing you know, to, to coincide with the things that they value um, for decades, if not, you know, if not more than that. We have the experience of many national governments who have have supported, you know, either with grants or contracts and now with investments, the kinds of outcomes that they're trying to achieve, either domestically or in other countries. We have foundations, private foundations in the U.S. and foundations in several other countries are ironically more recent to uh believing that the money that they have in their endowment should also be invested according to the charitable purpose that the IRS uh, gives to them. And then, of course, we have private funds um, all all around the world. The term itself, impact investing, was actually born a little over 10 years ago um, at a meeting that the Rockefeller Foundation held in Bellagio, Italy. And it unlocked basically the consciousness of a bunch of different people who were doing this, but didn't realize that they were doing the same thing. You can even go back to the divestment movement in South Africa, you know, in the 70s, that was really one of the first times when people said, you know, what can we do politically with our dollar to align our intentions? And a lot of the socially responsible investing movement, the SRI, a lot of people use that acronym, really, you know, sprang from that from that movement of saying, well, you know, you can you can screen out or or you know divest of things um, that don't align, as well as doing positive things. And since then, we've had you know huge kind of sub movements like the microfinance industry um, around the world or the community development uh, industry in the U.S., which was um, regulated in 1973 by the U.S. government to encourage and actually reward. 
um, banking institutions for making investments in low-income communities, right? So we have a lot of different things ranging from, you know, true hard regulation all the way up to, um, you know, people deciding to do what they think is right. Um, today, when you look across the impact investing field at large, um, you know, it's it's growing rapidly. We have in the privately owned markets, um, according to the Global Impact Investing Network's latest study, we have about $114 billion in impact investing assets. In the publicly owned market, um, there's been 33% growth over the past two years and a 14-fold increase since 1995. Um, and in, and the estimate that um, one out of every five dollars that is professionally managed in the U.S. is screened in some way for impact. So it's it's truly significant. Yeah. So it sounds like there there are a lot of dollars behind this. That's actually a stat that we share all the time. The one in five. In the in the past, this has not been something that you know the average retail investor has been able to invest, say, their retirement fund in or something like that. Could you paint a picture of who kind of the average retail investor is? I know there are so many different types, so it's probably hard. But uh, is is that a question you could even kind of approach? I'm not sure exactly how to get at that. I feel like, you know, if behind the numbers that I just quoted is a whole bunch of people putting their toe in the water or recognizing that they've been swimming for a while, right? And 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 helping people <laughs> understand what they've learned in that process. So, you know, I think what what we are seeing though is a move from Maybe 20 years ago, it was little small pockets, right? A, a foundation here, uh, you know, uh, a state pension fund here, a, a government agency there. Um, I have this great slide uh, that I wish I could share on a podcast, which I, I share with my students at the beginning of every impact investing class, where I put up about 30 different institutions, ranging from the Catholic Church and the Pope to, you know, Deloitte to, and, and consulting firms to major banks like Morgan Stanley, uh, you know, and governments. And I put them all up and say, who do you think on this, on this, you know, really actually is engaged with impact investing? And they all kind of look at it and they guess a few. And the answer is everyone. Um, you know, so, so there's just, there's just so many different kinds of institutions realizing that there is a very strong desire um, on the part of individuals as well as these institutions to basically align their money with their values. Um, you know, we have a world that's full of change um, and people are realizing um, that it's, you know, it's, a, it's an act of, of political power to choose where your dollar goes. What is new and as well as part of this is trying to make it easy. Generally, people point to two kind of sub-audiences where this demand seems to yeah. be forming. One is millennials, um, which makes sense when you think about all the other information we have about them and their awareness. Um, and the second one is baby boomers. Um, and that one's really significant. I think that one's the one driving a lot of institutional action because many of those you know, are, are approaching retirement age, are thinking proactively about what is the use of their money and what use do they want to make of it in you know in the next phase of their lives and so a lot of new conversations are taking place between people and their financial advisors or people and their uh, financial managers um, into which this this fits very well. I want to switch gears just slightly to from painting a picture of the average impact investor to talking about what 
impact investing is going to do for the world. One of the most powerful things that I read when I was reading over materials that you've written and interviews that you've given is that you likened the rise of impact investing uh, and socially responsible investing to the impact that venture capital had on technology. And it grew all of these technologies that we use every day in our day-to-day life and kind of changed the face of business in a lot of ways. Could you talk a little bit about that and also share the whether there are specific industries that you think will be, be particularly benefited by impact investing? The great thing about impact investing is that the word impact is neutral, right? So it doesn't mean right. any specific kind of outcome or industry. There are people um, interested in sustainability. There are people interested in the role of women and minorities. There are people interested in reducing poverty, advancing health, improving education, right? Kind of anything that that you can think of could, you know, in in somebody's eye, you know, be, be impactful. That said, there's, you know, underneath impact investing, and I talked about it a little, little at the beginning, there's been a drive um, on the entrepreneurial side of people trying to create enterprises that, you know, have impact on or even solve important environmental and social problems. And that's the field of social enterprise that I've been part of for 25 years. And just the incredible ingenuity, people who are willing to go on the ground and and start to put together solutions. Some of those solutions are not ever going to be investable, uh, but a a growing portion of them are. Um, and that's an incredible opportunity for people willing to take, you know, maybe a piece of their overall investment portfolio and put it towards things um, that matter at, at different stages. So, you know, the, in terms of industries that are poised to benefit, I think we're, we're already seeing a tremendous amount of activity in health. Um, both domestically and globally. Uh, in fact, what we just we just ended a or are about to end a five year partnership with USAID, the U.S. government, um, to help uh, scale the impact of global health uh, ventures working to improve the lives of low and medium income populations in Africa and India. And a lot of the major health industries in the U.S. and Europe are actually paying really close attention to what some of those enterprises are doing on the ground. Um, very exciting. We see it in um, certainly in the energy and environment sector where there's just such tremendous interest, especially um, if and when governments are not as active for the private sector to, to step in and start to provide solutions across you know, so many different you know, sub-industries from water to energy to Fisheries, I can't even tell you all the different things that you know we've seen over the past few years that, that people are putting incredible amounts of energy and attention to. To, you know, to more, um, you know, poverty-related or basic services, there's a tremendous amount uh, in some of the developing countries uh, where governments are not providing basic services in ways that truly meet people's needs and social enterprises are in there filling the gap and finding ways to do that. Um, that are investable and that they can then scale. One of the projects we're working on is this project called Scaling Pathways, which is a partnership between the Skoll Foundation and USAID um, to fund um, social entrepreneurs who are um, scaling up the their approaches to solving really interesting problems around the world. This kind of win-win, which a lot of 
people who are new to this field kind of scratch their heads and say, that sounds like having your cake and you eat it too. That seems impossible. It isn't. You mentioned at one point that this would be a portion of someone's investment portfolio. Do you have any thoughts on how this fits into someone's financial approach? What percentage of someone's investment portfolio are you seeing people put towards impact? Well, I'm not in a position to, 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 to look over a lot of different portfolios, but I've certainly talked to many, many investors over the years. I was the chair of, um, an angel impact angel network for almost 10 years um, and um, have been part of several studies of looking at how people allocate to impact. And the answer is there is no one size uh, or method or percentage um, that should, there's no should you see, you know, people who are saying, I want to take a, you know, small portion of, you know, what I think of as alternatives and, and play. Um, you see other people who are, you know, looking at every different asset class that they have, asking what are the impact areas that I care about most that this asset class could address and what's the likelihood that I could switch out some of my non-impact holdings that I know are doing well financially, but I don't know how they're doing socially or I know they're doing actually things against my values um, and people are kind of slowly, you know, ratcheting up the percentage of impact investments that they have in their portfolios. And that goes all the way to um, quite a number of institutions now who are saying we want to do total impact. We want to do 100% portfolios. And that takes time because you do have to do this kind of replacement along the way if you have an invested portfolio. But there are people doing it and doing extremely well with it and outperforming the benchmarks that they choose, even some very, very careful uh, foundation endowments um, who are, you know, hiring the best financials and financial advisors in the planet and, and, and are starting to show that, you know, given, given the right kind of approach, you can actually outperform. And, you know, what they're kind of saying is, why isn't everyone doing this? If that's true. Yeah, definitely. I love that. And that actually brings that actually brings me to my next point, which is something that people often get mixed up on, which is there's a common misconception that we often address, which is that impact investing is charity. It's impossible to make money and do good. So can you tell us more about how impact investors aim to achieve both impact and returns? Yeah, there there is a misperception and it's... Um... I, I think it's it's you know it's a natural one that people say, well, how do you manage to two different goals at the same time, and how can you possibly not lose money by spending time on that second goal, right? That's the and it's a very it's a very logical way of of thinking about it. I think what's interesting about this is when you actually look at impact investing funds. Uh, whether those are funds or uh, collections uh, like mutual funds or, or, you know, venture capital funds or, uh, you know, forestry credits, whatever they are, you need, you know, you need this thing that someone can choose to put in their portfolio. And what our question that we asked a few years ago was, are those funds meeting both these objectives? And if so, what are they doing differently? What makes them special? And is this repeatable? So we set out, it was a three-year study. We went out and and, um, talked to all of the um, limited partners that we could find who put their money into these private, we, our study was of private impact investing funds because that was the, the piece that no one had any information on at the time. And we asked them two questions. We said, who in your portfolio is meeting or exceeding your financial expectations? 
and who in your portfolio was meeting or exceeding your expectations for impact. And what was great about that is, first of all, we started out and we had a pool that we had pre-researched of about 300 funds. And of those funds, um, we cut out most of the microfinance and community development because those had been studied already and said of the other funds, you know, who's great? They came back to us uh, and there was a list of about 30 funds that people mentioned over and over. And then we went a little bit deeper and we said, um, let's actually talk to the funds and see if they're meeting or exceeding their own expectations. And then it was actually smaller. <laughs> it was about 20. Um, and again, this is, you know, five years ago. Um, uh, and then we and then we actually went deep into those funds and said, what are you doing? You know, what what is your what's your story? Um, and what we found is impact investors who are high performing generally understand something about a market that other people perceive to be high risk. You cannot make money selling low-cost health services to low-income people in India, right? General perception. But then an investor goes in and actually does it, figures out how it works, figures out how to make it successful over and over again. And they are just like any other business person. They know something that, that no one else knows. And then they are able to, like Elevar Equity, which was one of the funds in our study, they are able to make those investments and have, you know, and meet or exceed their, their investor expectations. I think it was 23 or 25% venture capital-like return. You can't argue with that. So when people say to me, you know, how can this be? How can you you manage these two things? I point to the evidence, um, you know, that, that's actually coming out of the sector. I also wish that more people knew the kind of academic rigor that has gone into um, understanding the financial returns of sustainability. There have been thousands, literally thousands of studies looking at what is the impact of a company that that pays quality attention to the management issues behind sustainability compared to companies that don't. And there have been at least, um, I think, four or five meta-studies. Meta-studies are when they, they look across all the different studies and put them together. Every single one says that that managing to environmental sustainability leads to outperformance, every single one. So the fact that we still have this perception gap from the data, you know, it's, it's a significant gap uh, of what we are learning. You can postulate as to why that might be true. What some people have said is it's a sign of, it's a sign of good management if somebody is looking at that carefully, which, which could be true. The second thing I wanted to mention is, um, you know, who is who is driving this on the company perspective and why should a company care if there's, you know, a bunch of people who say that they care about impact and, you know, are going to ask them for different things. And one of the most significant um, kind of statements that's come out in the past few months um, was from the head of BlackRock, who basically said, uh, we really want to encourage companies to think about their purpose and to and to act on uh, how they create value for the rest of society, which was, turns out to be a very significant comment um, in this financial world. Yeah, we actually feel the same and we're really excited when Larry Fink came out with that statement. I actually want to ask you on all of that. That was an incredibly thorough answer and it's very much appreciated on a, on a very on a very complicated, uh, topic that people really need to know about. So if we, with what Larry Fink just said, if we zoom out and take a 10,000 foot view, you know, similar to the forward in your book, this is the next venture capital uh, driving the tech revolution. What does the world look like in five, 10 years when impact investing is not a niche, but it's the norm? 
Yeah, my my colleague Matthew Weatherly White has a great um, idea for that, which I love if it were to be true, which is, you know, what if this were opt out, not opt in? You know, if if we all recognize that, you know, impact investing tends to outperform, it should be a conscious choice to decide not to invest for impact or to to you know to to take your money and not get information back about what it's doing. Imagine that that was the norm, right? Imagine that everyone was looking at their portfolio, getting information, and then acting on what they learned from it as to what you would invest further in. So maybe you would take money out of things faster um, if you knew that they were harming the environment somewhere else in the world. Because what impact investing is doing fundamentally is giving you an additional stream of information to make decisions. I love that. That's so perfect. And that actually brings me to one question that I know is tough in the industry and it's approached in a a bunch of different ways, which is how the social return is measured, uh, because that's just as important as the financial return. So could you talk a little bit about how traditional impact investors measure and report on the good that they're achieving? So the good news is we have a lot of activity of people trying a lot of different ways to generalize, standardize, and universalize impact measurement and management. The bad news is it's not standardized yet. So, you know, everyone comes to this and and, and I even some of my students after like the third class, they say, well, where's the number? <laughs> well, give me the number that tells me that this is, you know, A, B, or C, one, two, or three. And I was like, we don't have one number. I'm sorry. <laughs> we can't. We can't do that. We don't even have, you know, an alpha yet, you know, or a beta of, of, you know, kind of regression from a mean. We don't have any of those things yet. What we do have is, um, the way I like to think about it is impact investing has a set of, a set of um, handoffs between people. So we have portfolio managers deciding what investments will be in their portfolio. Those investments then often hand off to particular funds then who then take that money and give it to something that's actually going to have impact, right? Whether that's a company, a private company or a public company. And then that company interacts with people on the ground to do something. You know, it either, it, you know, it makes Coca-Cola and, you know, takes water out of the planet or puts water back or it sells um, shoes and gives one away or it, you know, replaces um, fuel with, with solar, solar lanterns, whatever it does, right? There's something that's happening. Each one of those layers needs a toolkit to figure out what its part of the impact is. And what we have now, I'm sorry, this is a long convoluted answer, but this is how I actually think about it, is we have different systems for each layer and they don't talk to each other. We have IPAR, which is starting to be, you know, a new system for kind of almost like a portfolio view um, of the different impacts within your portfolio. We have gears ratings and uh, some other things at the fund level. We have B Corporation standards and SASB at the company level, and we have some interesting things going on between companies and their stakeholders, things like lean data coming out of Acumen and some other things. We have some vocabulary. So we have, there's all these acronyms in this field, which is awful, right? We need to improve this, but we have this thing called IRIS, which is basically 
what's what kind of output are you trying to get from your activity? So, you know, if, if someone is reporting on how many jobs they created, what's the definition of a job? And IRIS is basically the dictionary of all those definitions. So we have the idea that we should standardize by the building blocks, but we haven't standardized to the point where the portfolio manager can know can kind of instantly access and touch and evaluate what's going on at the company level, three levels down. I wish that was a much easier answer than that was. And I think we're going to get there. I think in another five or 10 years, this is going to be much more simplified. But it shouldn't go too fast because what we're doing is we're learning what are the things that people are actually trying and how significant are they? How material are they? And when you go into an impact investment use case for you know, what's existed in the nonprofit world for a century, which is evaluation and monitoring information, it has to be material. It has to, it has to give a sense of how relevant this is. So we're on mm-hmm. the right path. It's just, I, it's just a little complicated and messy to get there. People are interested. Yeah. I want to do a plug. So you mentioned at the top oh, that we have this great. online platform. It's called Case Smart Impact Capital. It's casesmartimpact.com. It's a platform to help entrepreneurs figure out how to get the right kind of impact investing capital. But we have a video on one of the one of the first pages of the site. It's got a butterfly on it that actually explains how impact investing works in about four minutes um, and shows how the capital changes hands and how when the capital comes back, it needs to come back with inf- impact information for this whole thing to work as a, you know, it's another channel of information. And so this it kind of makes it a little easier to understand. Oh, I absolutely love that. I'm looking at the site now. So we'll link it out in the notes in the blog post that'll go along with with the podcast. That's great. I have a couple more questions for you and I'm going to be mindful of your time. But when I was researching your background and reading articles that you had spoken for, I actually found the most incredible quote. And it was in a Forbes article with Devin Thorpe, who is also a friend of Swell's. And you said, uh, and this just speaks to the big picture view, if everyone puts a portion of their investment dollars to work toward impact and they come away satisfied with the impact and financial return that they achieve, we will have changed the expectations of the financial system forever. Because if you could make things happen that you believe in and get a financial return, why would you ever just want financial returns again? And that is so powerful and really spoke to us. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to that, what you had in mind when you were saying that and where what you think is next for impact investing overall. What I had in mind uh, was that at some point, this is going to be the smart thing to do, not just the nice thing to do. Uh, I truly believe that. Could I be wrong? Of course. <laughs> but but at a, I, you know, I think we're I think we're at that place for millennials and and um, and boomers. I think we're at that place with a lot of people inside major institutions. Um, I think we're not entirely there yet because a lot of people are saying, well, we're not sure whether this is going to work, but we have clients demanding it. So we have to explore it. Right. Which is which is a great first excuse. As we explore it collectively, we're going to I think we're going to find that people are going to get used to knowing more about where their dollars go. And if there isn't a difference, which there won't be some of the time, sometimes there will be. But if there isn't a difference in the kind of return you're going to get back and you can do things that you truly feel good about. I, I just, I know that more people will do that. Um, and so you know, that's what I was trying to get across is the idea that there's there's a, going to be a different level of satisfaction with investment as this progresses. And you can see it in the people who are early adopters. They are so passionate 
about what they're doing and about the transparency. Can I can I jump in with a story? I know you want me to be quick. Can I jump in with a, a oh, small please story? Do. No, we love stories. <laughs> so one of yeah. the <laughs> that we studied was a fund called RSF. RSF has this amazing loan fund. At the time, it was about $100 million. And they invest in social enterprises. They give loans to arts organizations, agricultural organizations, um, and some others. What's interesting about RSF, so I told you that when we did this study, we said to investors, which funds have met or exceeded your expectations? And we didn't have a benchmark in mind. So when we talked to the investors of RSF, they said, not only does this fund meet my expectations, they actually get us together every quarter to talk about what our return should be. We said, what? <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> and so the story unfolded that this organization um, has quarterly meetings between their fund investors, the borrowers who are actually getting the, the loans, and the staff of RSF. And the frame is, you've already put your money into this. And this was all around the time of the recession. And they were having these quarterly meetings. And we said, you know, so so are you happy? And they said, we're delighted. And we said, what's the interest rate? And they said, it's 1.04. And we said, how could you be happy with that? <laughs> and they said, because in this recession, we thought it was more important for the borrowers to keep it and to keep doing their good work. And we're totally satisfied with that. And I just thought that was an amazing example of the kind of ingenuity that impact investors are doing when you're unpacking what are the norms of capitalism and what can we do differently? Oh, I absolutely love that. It's just putting the returns and the socially good on on par and making with each it other. Explicit, That's just right. Making it explicit. Yeah. It's not like yeah. some bank saying, you know, do you want a 2% return on your CD or a 1% return on your CD? That is not empowering. It's completely empowering to say, mm -hmm. here are the four borrowers that we gave money to last month. What should we do? Yeah. I'm also struck by the transparency in that story. And I think that impact investing introduces this entirely new approach to investing, which is very transparent. Is that a, is that a norm across the funds that you looked into and across different types of impact investing that there's a lot more communication with what exactly your money is achieving than say the traditional investment there is. banking approach? There is. And again, that's where the that's why the standardization is so tough because you couldn't standardize what RSF is doing. Definitely. I love that. Okay. So I have uh, one more for you. That is, so we want to make this podcast really personal and tell the personal stories uh, behind impact investing. So I was wondering if you are able to share what, what you invest for, what kind of world are, are you investing for? I think when I, in my mind's eye, when I think about what impact I want to have, I think I invest for children in the future. I think about big societal trends and global warming and scarcity of resources that is coming up. And I think of the kind of political battles that are likely to happen as a result of that. That's my worldview, whether that's, you know, glass half full or glass empty. My, my worldview is, you know, a child 100 years from now is going gonna, is gonna to need a world that can deal with those things, a world that understands how to um, manage resources, um, you know, from climate change, a world that understands that different um, groups of people are going to find that extremely trying. Um, and so I think about basic needs. I think about equity. I think about health. I think about family. Um, I really, to me, the kind of social and environmental kind of come together 
because that's my because that child is my unit of change, if that makes sense. I absolutely love that. That's that's amazing. Yeah, it's a, a lot of the, the similar to how a lot of our investors think about what we're doing. If someone wants to learn more about you and your work, where would you point them? I know you already mentioned a resource, but I I'd love kind of the full list of. It is not hard to find me. (laughs) I am very active on social media. So first I tweet at Kathy HC, Kathy with a C, HC. Um, Our website is caseI3.org. And there are so many resources on our website, um, hundreds of resources, and they're all kind of searchable by theme. Um, I also do a a few times a month uh, electronic newsletter, which is called On Impact. So if you actually go to Twitter and you search for hashtag on impact, you can click on that and subscribe. It's free, has subscribers in over 100 countries. Um, and the last one I mentioned is casesmartimpact.com, which is our online training toolkit for people who want to be better at impact investing. Okay, great. Well, we'll make sure to link out to all of those resources. Thanks everyone to stay in touch with the Swell team and be the first to know about new podcast episodes and updates. Sign up at swellinvesting.com. If you like the show, please go ahead and share it with friends and family. And before you go, I'd like to turn it over to Vaughn from the Swell team for a special message. Hi friends, Vaughn from Swell Investing here. What if you could invest in our planet while also investing in your financial future? Resources are diminishing, our population is growing, and innovation is needed to sustain our world. Swell Investing is an impact investing platform helping you invest in high-growth companies innovating in clean water, renewable energy, and green technology. It's a market opportunity you can feel good about. Get a $50 bonus when you open your account using code PODCAST50.